Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new episode of Geekscape. This is Geekscape episode 138. I'm your host, Jonathan London, and every week I like to get a uh, specific co-host who is knowledgeable in movies, video games, comics, to talk to you guys about the latest news and reviews in those worlds. That's what we love. Uh, that, that's, that's our passion, right? Absolutely. As I've been describing it, it's the, one, it's the things that didn't turn us down on Friday nights back in high school. You know, that's <laughs> our warm blanket. And this is Seth Eisenberg, who I've known longer than I've known any of you guys. Uh, Seth and I went to Penn together, mm -hmm. right? And, and do you remember the specific moment that we discovered our geek commonality? Well, I'll tell you that from, from my end, um, I was writing and editing for the school paper, the Daily Pennsylvania, specifically 34th Street for the five people out there that know. What's 34? Now, what was 34th Street so for the rest of us? So the Daily Pennsylvania was the daily newspaper, um, and 34th Street was the weekend sort of entertainment section. So they divided into different sections, and I edited the tech section for two semesters and television also. And I did wrote all sorts of reviews and stuff, and it was the last semester, and I was like, I wanted to do something big, and this thing came up, and it was Robert Rodriguez. I was so excited, and I was like, okay, I get to interview this guy. And then what does the movie editor tell me? Oh, there's this other guy that you're going to interview Robert with. And I'm like, what? And I, and I don't really remember how I got on that guy's radar or anything. I don't even remember if they asked me to do the interview or not, because I was doing radio. Uh -huh. And I really don't know how I got involved in that story at all. <laughs> but it must have been a bummer. It was, you know, it was it was pretty funny because I felt really disappointed. And then when we both, I guess, we got together, must have been before to prepare for the interview. Did, or did we had to go to the Spy Kids? Right. Screening. Yeah, we went to the Spy Kids screening before. Maybe do you think that's when we met up? Yeah, was, and and, and I had never met you before. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I remember that pretty well. And then we we had to hike over to the hotel and and talk to him, and it turned into like a pretty big. We were just hanging out with the guy. Yeah, and we had both we had both done research on Ain't It Cool News and a few other things, looked up on IMDb, and we both sort of got all this information about these projects that he had never actually completed. And while I think for him it was an interesting interview too because where you know most people just ask him about Desperado and then, okay, what's the Spy Kids thing? We were talking to him about all these projects that no one ever brought Are up. Are you going to do the Madman movie? Right. You know, uh, I remember a big part of that conversation revolved around the Predator movie that he wrote when right. he first signed to his agency. And he wrote it sort of as a project for Van Damme, who was another client there. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he gave us the ins and outs of that Predator movie. Yeah, I think he was so excited that someone actually asked him about that. But now... Maybe we'll happen. end up All seeing right. that Predator movie yeah. from his studio. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Because um, the way he described it was the Arnie characters in there, Dutch is in there, the Van Damme plays a villain. Right. Um, who knows? Who knows? I mean, the director on that, uh, he, he's got this movie Armored coming out mm -hmm. about um, it, it, about like a um, an armored uh, money, you know. What, what, you know the words. What are they? What are they oh, they're, they're, armored cars. Like just like an armored, not an armored car. I like to call them something else, like an armored truck. Mm -hmm. When I steal one of those things in GTA, I'd like to think that it's <laughs> it's a force of nature. Right. When I'm barreling down the street. It's not a car. <laughs> I'm raining mayhem and death on the people in Liberty City. Uh, yeah, in, in that movie seems pretty neat. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's got like Matt Dillon and in it, and he kind of plays a bad guy, so you don't know. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne's in it. But it looks oh yeah, well, yeah, I yeah, saw it, that. Preview. It's called Armored. Right. It looks well directed. That guy is directing Predators, hmm. and Robert Rodriguez, according to his Twitter, just finished shooting like Machete like yesterday, nice. as of the taping of this. You know, so he's been busy. Um, yeah, I remember. I don't remember having feelings about having to share. I think many, most of my feelings were, oh, he'll do all the work. I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. But it was fun. No, we the, the truth was we hit it off well, and obviously we, we've been fr friends ever since. And it was just it was one of these things where all these geeky things that I didn't really have any friends to share my love of with, you know, and you shared all the same interests, and it was just it was cool. Now, now when you went to Penn, you stayed at the Orthodox in the Orthodox living. What yeah. Was that, the so that was high rise north. There there were three high rises, and it just sort of organically happened that all of the Orthodox Jews would end up in uh -huh. high rise north. And none of those guys were into... Some of them were, stuff. and I, I got some of my friends, some of my roommates into it, but n none of them were ever at the level that I was. And yeah, we need a se we have a secret, like a certain frequency here <laughs> that we all operate on. Yeah, exactly. Escape, and it's an intense frequency. And you know what? There are people who 
come to Geekscape and maybe they don't operate on that same level of intensity, but we did definitely. And mm-hmm. then you know when I went to to school uh, in New York, I think you were there when when Gateway Dawn played for yeah, the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd moved to New York and and we stayed in touch, and I went to your premiere, and it was hilarious <laughs> because you have to understand that this is totally you know forgot. Columbia Film School. You've got all these like serious filmmakers making these like intense emotional films. Oh, and in the screenings that we were in, yeah, there were some. <laughs> Yeah, and some of them were good, some of them were bad, but like it's at the end of the night and you, you've seen everything that you want to see that has any sort of gravitas and then all of a sudden Gay by Don comes on and everyone goes nuts and it was just like, it was such a cathartic feeling. Yeah, it was so cathartic because you just, you'd sat through all these films and just, you know, you didn't want to watch another like pretentious film student kind of film and it was just, it was perfect. I hope that I'm like incapable of ever delivering a pretentious movie. (laughs) Uh, I I I described some of Gabe on the feature to you. Hopefully we'll get that movie made. Um, I would, I'd love to. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I'm putting pages on it every day. So the next thing you gotta do is put money on it. I'm, uh, you know, I I, I completely, I had a draft. I read it out loud with some Mm -hmm. friends and I just took out 90% of that draft. And I was like, you know what? It's just not going to cut it. You know, you know what I, I mean? Like, it's just not going to cut it. For your first movie, you have... To, I mean, I'm thinking your first movie has to at least be as good as... In this day and age, it at least has to be like at least like a cabin fever. Mm-hmm. Which is not a Desperado. Which is See, not a Reservoir Dogs. I mean, those but, are on a different level. But for your first movie, if you want to have a film career that's a while... Right. You know, you got you to gotta kick ass right out of the gate. And that script just wasn't going to do it. It was cool. It had some parts, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't going to do it. And I think it's the kind of thing where you you have to sort of be in on the joke. And it doesn't mean that you have to know ahead of time, but you have to be sort of savvy enough right. to sort of realize what's going on. And at least if you use the track record of general horror movies mm-hmm. and what they sort of gauge the audience's intelligence to be, which is like Pretty low. Low, probably lower than the camera is shooting right now, Yeah, you know, you sort of wonder if, like who you're going to... Event. But then again, if you stir up controversy, that's publicity for the film. So yeah. it's kind of a weird thing. I, I, I kind of put these, um, I just put earmuffs on when, I, when I'm sitting down to write, and I, and I just try and shut out the voices that are, oh, wow, you can't write that, it'll offend people. You can't write that, it'll offend right. people. Uh, this is probably one of the most, I mean, this is like KKK clan fiction <laughs> for half the movie. Like, it's some of the most offensive stuff that I can, uh-huh. it's just vitriolic, and I'm like, wow, I can't believe that shit just came out of my mouth. Right. Like, that's, that's a really dark place. Uh, and when that person dies, it's going to give you that, like, yes. <laughs> right. But but what's weird is you then get into this pattern that we've all been coached by survivalist horror to be like, oh, they've got to get out of the woods or they've got to escape or they've right. got to get out of the house. You know, as your character is getting picked off, I think the audience is going to start to kind of root for some of the horrible people in the script because you're like... And I think maybe... You're just coached to do it by movie convention. Right, and I know, like... Um like I just saw uh, Final Destination recently, uh, The Final Destination. And it was the kind of thing where it's like, okay, this is what, the third, fourth movie in the franchise? You think they would maybe try to kind of subvert sort of the normal horror elements right. or, or at least try to go beyond it? But they put it, it in 3D. Come on, Seth, what else do you Yeah, want? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, what else do you want? They put that movie in three dimensions. Right. And I'm not, look, I'm not looking for, uh, you know, like the most amazing movie going experience of my life but it's like when the no, twist at the off. end right when the <laughs> twist at the end um, you know you have to shut your brain off after half a second because if you think about it at all the entire movie makes absolutely no sense <laughs> now was Tony Todd in the movie did he make a cameo in it at all no he didn't and that was the thing and, and I, I'd seen the first one the whole so way so they through. don't even have a history now yeah they refer to the other ones oh they go uh, we did some research on the internet and then of course they show some clips of, of like a few things from the Gary previous Jameson. films they don't even show you that. They'll show you like a headline or something like that. So then, so I figured they would probably add on to the mythos and the rules and all of that, and they didn't. And then, can I spoil the ending a little bit because it really is you not a spoiler? Us, you guys can you guys can fast forward most. if you want, and I mean, if you do, I don't really know why. But all the surviving people are sitting at this cafe at the end. The surviving and people from fr- this movie. Yeah. Oh well, no. No. Yeah. It doesn't have that much of a connection. No one's come over. And get anyone. And they go, they go, so the guy who's been getting all the premonitions goes, you know what, what if, because they all feel like they're free and they're... Yeah, the curse is over. What if all of this happened so that we could all be here now 
to get killed or something like that. And then all of a sudden, boom, of course, out of nowhere, a big rig slams in. And then while they're showing the credits, they do this cool like x-ray effect of them all getting killed. But it's like, no, if, yeah. if they had meant for all of them to die, they would have died at the beginning because it wouldn't have mattered. So it was like, oh, yeah. and that's the first thing that came to my mind. It wasn't even that I had sat there thinking about it. I'm like, this just this whole movie made no sense. Yeah, so basically, the guy should have said at the end, what if we just peed on our audience right? <laughs> exactly. and disrespected them so badly that we admit to them that we just took two hours of their lives right. for no apparent reason? Yeah, and I just I wanted to hear like the one audience member go, wow. <laughs> and you know there was that guy. There's definitely that guy. I'll tell, guy you, I'll tell you what guy it was. That shit blew my mind. I'll tell you what guy it was. It was a guy that wasn't in that article about the people to avoid in the theater. This was oh, like yeah. the, the worst theater audience I'd ever seen. This was in New York on the Upper West Side. There was a group of people that weren't just talking, weren't just talking on their phones. They were taking flash photography of themselves <laughs> by the end of the movie. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, if this was a movie I cared at all about, I would be so pissed <laughs> off that, right now. Is that AMC over by Lincoln Center? Uh, the one on 84th. <laughs> Now, now you referred to our uh, our buddy Ivan Kander's article about the top the worst five people in a movie. Yeah. are you reading the Geekscape site? I am, I am. I, I check it out occasionally. I, I go here and there. That that article definitely glued me to it. I Ivan's like. Ivan's a cool writer. I and, like him a lot. And there's actually a little story I have to tell because I've been through some bad movie you know movie experiences. And I'm sure everyone that watches the show has. But the absolute worst was actually not in the U.S. It was actually, I was in China oh, in no. Janu oh, no. January of 08. So this is pretty funny. It was January 08, and I was, on a, I was in business school and on this program, and I had a night off in Shanghai, and I'm like, I'm going to go see a movie. Found out that they had uh, one theater that had English subtitles, and I saw, I don't know if you've heard of Assembly, which is actually a pretty good what movie. Was it was about, um, it was the Chinese Civil War, I think. Okay. Um, and it was just, it was a really good war movie. Um, so okay so fine you know look like a good premise and I sit down to watch the film and the theater is pretty empty there's probably I don't know 20 30 people in there the guy next to me starts like hacking up a lung like hawking snot like <laughs> like in the middle of the movie and he's like right next to me and I'm thinking like and I'm sort of giving him this look and I'm and I'm looking around and no one seems to care you could be dying and you're not doing anything right and then you got the sort of occasional people texting and all that but the best was halfway through the movie all of a sudden I hear um, it goes like knock 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 hello knock 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 hello knock 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 hello I realize it's someone's ringer okay so then okay so she fishes it out she presses the button, and I'm expecting her, I mean, I don't know Mandarin, but I'm expecting her to say, oh, I'm in the movie, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Not full voice, you know, whatever she's saying in Mandarin, hey, how's it going, what's going on? And then, then the thing that shocked me the most wasn't that, it was when I looked around the theater and no one cared. It wasn't like other people, usually like, you know, in New York or L.A., yeah, if I'm in a movie, somebody. someone's turning around, doing like, a shush, everyone's just like, yeah, that's normal. And like, I was the weird one for wanting to just sit down and watch a movie and just not wow. say anything. Um, she just said something, <laughs> except you don't know Mandarin. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, guys, thank you also, Geekscapers, for giving me a freebie last week. Uh, didn't really have a lot of time to put an episode together, nor the motivation with what was released. Wasn't going to hit the sorority roll bullet for you guys. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you. Got a lot of work done. Um, and uh, our good friend Seth, though, was like, hey, I'll be the hero this week. I'll go see Jennifer's body. Right? Now, Jennifer's Body is the Diablo Cody scripted movie starring uh, Megan Fox as she's like a devil or demon or something. Mm -hmm. She starts like killing high school students. Yeah, she eats people. She eats, eats their people. entrails, basically. She eats their entrails. And um, she's fought by one of the mean girls. Yeah, Amanda Seyfried. And, and she's cool. Like, she's mm -hmm. been showing up in other stuff like Mamma Mia and, and, right. and movies like that. Who else is in this film? Um, oh, uh, J.K. Simmons actually has a total against type role. Okay. Oh, it. wow. Um, yeah, so that's pretty funny. It's a, you know more of a cameo-ish, but it's it's definitely cool to see him to see him in that role. Um, Amy Sedaris plays Amanda uh, Seyfried's mother, which okay. is kind of a weird yeah. bit of casting that I, I hadn't read anywhere or anything like that. Um, those so what's were really the it. About? I mean, did so, I basically get it? Like, yeah, yeah. And the preview. I mean, I think the preview gives a pretty good approximation for people that have seen it. And it's um, you know it, what's interesting about it is um, you sort of wonder. You know, Juno. I think. Most of the audiences that saw Juno thought it was smart, thought the dialogue was snappy, and that's kind of how I came out of it. But there's some people that are just like, okay, this writer is basically just masturbating all over the material and thinks she's smarter than she is. And I, and I sort of, I heard that, but I didn't really get it. Okay. In this movie, I got it. 
because it was like yeah like she walks up and like their sort of buddy buddy way is like hey monistat hey vagisil and then like they would say things like um I don't know, it was like cheese and rice instead of Je- Jesus Christ when she's like upset. She's like, cheese and rice. And it was like... It just didn't ring sincere to you. Yeah, it didn't feel sincere. It felt like, oh, look how smart I am. Um, now you can come join us in our, exactly. in our Juno group. And I wonder... Our anti-Juno group. I wonder if, if it'll... Juno again, that's the thing. That. I wonder if it's going to ruin Juno for me now if I see it a second time. Because yes. it was just like, this isn't how normal people talk and it's not even how I want normal people to talk. It's Here not... Juno. Yeah. And it's not how you you said you said it's not how normal people talk, right. which is fine for movies, right? But it's not how you want normal, people right? And the thing, like I remember, everyone talked about like Kevin Williamson with um, Dawson's Creek that it was how people would talk if they thought about like, everything they thought. Oh, it would be great if I said that, which is still a cool way to do to write dialogue. But this one just was like, I don't know, it doesn't even ring true. Yeah. I, the, the problem with with Juno is, is the the movie was asking me for for some feeling of sincerity mm-hmm. but everything that i felt i was hearing was was ringing insincere to me right so there was zero connection with the characters mm-hmm. um you're saying that now you didn't even feel for these people as they were getting killed and eaten by oh totally fox. yeah totally didn't didn't care for them i thought amanda seyfried was was good in it i think and megan fox even i mean people talk about how she can't really act i think given the material she did a good job with it mm-hmm. um it was just that that's that's what they had to work with the other one oh adam brody yeah, is in it and he also is somewhat somewhat against type he has a pretty like interesting a character yeah he, he did a good job with this one he wasn't the normal like jewish nebuchadnezzar guy that you sort of see him play in a lot of things um and uh yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, it was fun. It was still a fun movie. You recommend I'm, it to people. I'm Which the kind of person, look, I'm the kind of person that can sit and have fun in e- either a movie that's, that's like, good, that's medium, and that's really bad. This one wasn't really bad. This one, you know, it was more interesting than a typical horror movie because there are a few things in there that you don't normally see, um, but I wouldn't necessarily. I would say that if you li- if you like the dialogue of Juno a lot, you probably won't hate this movie, I'm guessing. Is this, it's, it's starting to sound like a Netflix yeah, yeah, I would say like. Netflix. I would say don't waste your your ten bucks on it in the theater. Um, but you know, if you see it on cable, you see it on Netflix, definitely catch it. Um, the other movie that came out this week uh, was Steven Soderbergh's new movie. Yeah. This is The Informant with Matt Damon. Matt Damon is playing a corporate, uh, a pretty high up the corporate ladder individual who works in uh, the like the corn industry everything that comes out of corn what comes out of corn a, right. mil- a million different L- lysine fuels. is the thing they kept talking about i a think different, yeah a bunch of different fuels and uh early on in the movie you start finding out that um there's something wrong with their lysine he attributes it to a mole from a japanese competitor oh, right. i'm sorry laura's torturing the dog <laughs> uh she attributes it he he goes to his superiors and says i think there's a mole right. who's been sabotaging our lysine that's why our numbers are down we got to do something about this mm-hmm. they do whatever any natural company would do get the fbi involved now it's a little in over his head right he soon tells everybody guys i kind of made that up to explain why my numbers were down but by that time, we've already latched on to, is the company involved in price fixing right. on a global scale with other companies? The FBI is in it to win it. They want to see some people go to jail if this really is a price fixing scheme. And Matt Damon's character can't stop Just lying. lying. <laughs> and yeah. it's, a, it's a comedy. What's great about it is, it's a comedy played dramatically. Right. And you see a lot of comedians in this movie. Right. Joel McHale has a pretty great, uh, pretty pretty serious role as one of the FBI mm-hmm. uh, agents. You've also got Scott Bakula. Right. Uh, but you also start seeing like like uh, Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt. Uh, one of the Smothers Brothers is in this. Yeah, he's the judge, right? The uh, the guy from uh, Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't remember his name. He was also in uh, Chuck. So you you start yeah. to see a lot of these comedians come out and do this. It's pretty all, much it's straight all, roles. Yeah, it's all straight roles. Um, and Matt Damon's playing it straight, even though the things that he's doing are so airheaded and bumbling that right. it's it's funny. Um, the movie has twists and turns as you start to think, okay, is he telling the truth or is he just not telling enough of the truth? Um, is he completely incompetent or is he a liar? Right. Um, there are a lot of different layers to this to, to, to the dialogue in the movie. I thought it was really tightly written. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the dialogue goes and the character goes, as far as a script, 
and the pacing of a movie, I felt like it, there were parts that dragged. Would you, would you agree? It felt it felt a little dragging to me. Um, you know, I I was sort of wondering about they have sort of this. Uh, thing where you hear his internal monologue at certain mm -hmm. at a lot of points in it and a lot of it's sort of used for comedic effect but you sort of wonder what's it getting at do you really do you understand him anymore because of that is it just you see his attentions waning you're kind of I don't know I sort of was trying to figure out what the point of that was the other thing too about it I mean I thought I thought there were a lot of really interesting points to it but um, the aesthetic totally turned me off well, you mean aesthetic, so you mean? it's the aesthetic of the music and the titles right. make it like a '60s sort of farce, and I think that it's in some ways it's played like a '60s farce, but it takes place in the '90s mostly. Uh -huh. And I just didn't. I sort of it made me wonder why they made that choice instead of it sort of furthering my immersion into the film. Yeah, uh, I th I thought the cinematography was great, mm -hmm. but you're right. It does play. It it does play a pretty heavy style the cinematography for the most part is a lot of backlighting on the characters mm -hmm. the bright parts of the frame are never on your main characters i never i don't even notice <laughs> that it's the kind of things i notice yeah. when I watch a movie. Yeah, I, I go i go wow that's a really interesting way to light it but mm -hmm. uh i think it's genius everyone's really? kept in a shadow mm -hmm. everyone's n nothing is fully come to light when you see people talking you know like a parking lot at night you see the, the the bright spots of the parking lights, but you don't. But they're always standing in the shadow. Right. And so, really, what, huh. what, what, what they're being lit by bounces, and they're being lit by anything but a key light. Mm. And uh, and I and I thought it, that gave it a really uh, unique look. But at the same time, it does harken to an older, earlier look, a '60s look, a '70s look, because mm. you don't you do get those rich tones that you got in like a '60s '70s movie, instead of like an early '90s movie. Mm. When you think of early '90s, you think of something like. Uh, pretty Woman or something where the cinematography was just a little more flat a little more Hollywood mm -hmm. you know here this definitely pushes it more towards like an indies like like an indie earlier film mm -hmm. um, also my yeah. one issue I had with it too is that it felt um, not exactly like uh, Jennifer's Body but I had sort of a similar complaint that I think they thought it was smarter than it was I get sort of like I think it's Soderbergh style I think it's sort of like the Oceans kind of style where it's like you know it's a snappy dialogue back and forth and it wasn't that it felt Oceans 2 <laughs> yeah Oceans 2 was hard and it didn't hard to watch it didn't feel like it's not supposed to be you know obviously super realistic they're playing it for laughs but there was just something about it that I thought like Burn After Reading was similar, but did it much better. That's sort of and what I felt like. it was more concise. Yeah, okay. it was more concise. I, I liked the characters more, I think. Matt Damon's an interesting, he plays an interesting character in that he's... This is a really good performance. It's sort of like, well, he did an excellent job with it, but it's sort of like you're kind of with him at the beginning, and then you're kind of against him. But I was trying to figure out at the end, I'm like, do I want him to fail? Do I want him to pay for what he's done or hasn't done do I want him to succeed do, you know do you want him to walk away from it and that to you isn't more interesting than having a, like a clean cut I do like moral out. ambiguity but I guess the way the movie was played just didn't it didn't match that sort of I guess like I, I love Asian films because of that moral ambiguity but here you like sort of, the moral ambiguity but you felt that stylistically the film was already casting different pointing fingers yeah know? yeah all laughs all levity Ha, ha, ha. In a way, and it was just like Rather a movie like Burn, a Burn After Reading that had a lot of similar themes to it and a lot of similar kinds of characters. You have sort of the bumbling informant wannabe kind of person or blackmailer wannabe kind of person, and it just it just worked better because it was I, all levity. It was all, and and you sort of you you connected with those characters and you never disconnected with them. I mm -hmm. guess. So I don't know. I, it's hard to put my finger on it exactly, but maybe because I was falling asleep a few times in it. <laughs> well, it, the movie does play long. I, I think the movie is super interesting uh, for the once or twice, three times I'll ever see it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a movie that I'll revisit often, but it's definitely a, a movie that I will visually reference and <laughs> a movie that I'll be like, wow, I mean, they do some interesting things in this movie. It's worth referencing. I think it's worth checking out. Yeah. Um, but again, do you need a big THX you know, presentation of screen. Right. No, if you guys aren't the biggest Steven Soderbergh fans, if you guys are film students, I think it's worth checking this movie out just to see a director with a very direct point of view and a very strong hand trying things out, whether they work or not. 
I had a, a film school teacher named Eric Mendelson who was r- super talented. Mm-hmm. One of the few guys, uh, one of the few people in like my creative life who like sparked me. You know, there are those moments where like, man, what am I doing? I'm sitting. This is the, some of the worst crap ever. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's one of the few people that really lit a fire creatively under me. And I remember watching Gangs of New York and just being like, man, what a mess. And he said, you know what? As much as that movie is a mess. It's Scorsese's mess, so mm, right. it's interesting. Yeah. You know, you see a, a director actually like, really making decisions. Right. And uh, for those of you guys who saw our Peter Hyams interview with um, William Bibiani, there was a moment in the interview where William said about a car chase scene, did you mean for that to ha- You know, did you design? And, and Peter Hyams was like, of course. And walking, <laughs> I think William got a little embarrassed but uh, walking out of the interview, I said, Peter, I, I, said, I said, William, I actually know what you meant. Mm-hmm. And what he meant was, in this day of, like, doc style or just smash, bang, over coverage, let the, let the, let the, the second unit B-roll stuff right. cover the action scene, uh, it's easy to see real generic directing and real generic storytelling where people play it safe. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see a director like... I mean, what a, what a breath of fresh air was it to see Drag Me to Hell with Sam Raimi where he's designing things down to the shot. Mm-hmm. That stuff had to be fully storyboarded. That right. stuff had to be fully designed for effect. In a movie like this where, yes, he's making strong decisions on the cinematography and saying, no, we're going to put everybody in a bounce light or a shadow. <laughs> Thank you for having balls in Hollywood. Thank you for having balls in Hollywood. Wait, you're, you're saying wait, you're saying so you don't have to shake the camera and do a cut every half a second to make to something eight interesting. Cameras running at one time. You don't. Yeah, you don't have to hope that the editor will find something that'll tell the story for you. So God forbid you actually write a story and then see it through. God forbid you actually put your 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 influence on something. Yeah, and you wonder why people like Quentin Tarantino so much. He has taken so many people's languages mm-hmm. and put them into his own. You can tell it's his movie. You know, so you watch some shit and you're like, I don't even know who directed this. Could have been anybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's why I scrap ninety percent of Gay by Don. <laughs> and one day you'll see that movie and say, Could have been anybody. <laughs> I could do that. I could do that. <laughs> well, it's not that great, but you know what? I want you to. This is what I want you to be able to say one day. It's not that good, but it's definitely Jonathan's. <laughs> um, so, guys, getting on subjects uh, about uh, movie news. Uh, big big change at Disney. Dick Cook, the head of Honcho, is out at Disney. And f- even though you guys may be like, hey, it's just another suit, may not feel the effects, already you're starting to hear that maybe Johnny Depp doesn't want to do Pirates of the Caribbean 4. The one reason that he did it in the first place, that franchise, was Dick Cook's involvement. He says he's a pretty stand-up guy. It's hard to find in Hollywood. Without Dick Cook's, Dick Cook's involvement or him at Disney, my interest is definitely waning. I'm paraphrasing, not exactly, but Seth, you got me onto the story. Mm-hmm. Um, how big is that kind of shakeup? I mean, I think it's a big deal. I think, I think in the end, it comes down to how much money the studio is going to throw at you know the actor to make him happy. I think it's that you know the article compared it a little bit to Spider-Man Four and what what was going to happen, who was going to end up being attached. You know, if would Raimi come back, would mm-hmm. Toby come back? And I think, uh, I mean, look, at this point, the the franchise is a license to print money. You could tell by the second movie they already stopped caring about what was actually going to happen. They started blatantly ripping off the Michaela franchise. (laughs) Or just like, hey, let's, you know, uh, however expensive we can make the action sequences, that's the most important thing. And let's have five things happening at once instead of three things, and somehow that makes for a better movie. But you know what it does in the fact that it brings in more of a box office. So, um, So I think it's just a matter of how... You know they'll throw more money at him because they know they'll make the money back. And uh, if Johnny Depp cares more about his paycheck than making an artistic decision for that one decision, which I think you know a lot of actors they do that. They have it's sort of like Soderbergh. Soderbergh, Soderbergh does the movies he does because he loves the art, and then he does Ocean's Fifteen because he wants to have the money to be able to finance and hang he wants out with to make. his buddies. Right. So there's some cool people to hang out with. You'd hang out with them for, for a second. Oh, with. I would. Yeah. I think I like those guys. So guys. Uh, Jay Leno, his new show, mm-hmm. um, had a had a pretty big ratings night the first night out. Out of then, luck, dumb luck with Kanye. And then it just started going. 
is this show going to survive uh, in, in this 10 o'clock time slot? I think it'll survive for a while because NBC has nothing else to put in its place. They bet all their money, or they didn't bet their money. That was the whole point. They wanted to save money, so they figured, we won't do all these pilots. We won't throw money at hour-long dramas. I think they said one, one hour-long drama costs more than the whole week of Leno. So, wow. you know, in terms of just the bottom line, it was sort of a safe bet, they thought. But, you know, for all of the talk of him retooling the show and spending all this work on this new idea, it's basically the interviews are different length. He does all the same skits. Maybe the skits are a bit longer and he doesn't sit behind a desk. Like, how, how, how much effort did that take to, to uh, really change there? Yeah, I mean, with me, it's, it's the creative community is still working at 10 to 11. Mm -hmm. They've got shows on other networks. Right. How long are they going to support the competitor? With exactly. guests? I mean, you know. Yeah, and that's the other thing, right? All the politics with, you know, are they going to have, they're only going to have people that aren't on, you know, competing shows. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, to me, it's, it's a question of how strong was the audience for Jay Leno versus the audience for The Tonight Show. Right. And that was the bet that they were making, that people love Jay, that they want to see him wherever he is. They'll follow him. Um, which also, when you think about it, is kind of stabbing Conan, because that means they're siphoning that audience off. But um, I don't know. I think they're just going to have to go to something else soon. Well, guys, Seth Eisenberg, I think you all can tell he brought it and he's bringing it hard. <laughs> uh, Seth is actually, he, he sent me an email about wanting to come on Geekscape uh, because he actually started a company. The name of his company is Goyo Entertainment, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you guys have this little division Goyo Mobile. Right. Uh, you can find, is, is the website up? Goyomobile.com? Yeah, so goyomobile.com. What um, is this? So it's, uh, it's a company to make uh, mobile apps. Um, specifically, our first release is actually a game for the iPhone. Is this out yet? Um, it's not out yet. Um, I can Insider knowledge here on Geekscape. You guys are the first. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can give you a little look at it. But it's um, uh, essentially, I, I want to make a game that was something that anyone could pick up and play. And it just kind of get, gets Goyo out there, too. Yeah, it gets the name out there. And it's, and it's something that, that sort of is fun. It's stress relieving. Um, and uh, you know maybe has a few things in there that you haven't seen from other let, games. Let, let me see the iPhone now. Now, now this is a uh, this is a baby shaking game. You actually take the baby and you <laughs> shake it. You shake the shit out. Look, look, there's the baby. <laughs> That's my nephew. And yeah, you Stop definitely crying. do not shake it. Stop. Oh, this is stress relieving. Oh, oh, I broke it. It's it's dead. It's off. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. It's not a baby shaking uh, game. There's his wife. It's a wife shaking game. Uh, I'm kidding. There we uh, go. Okay, so, so I don't know how you're gonna get. So this is loading. This is this is. If you can send me screenshots, I can cut yeah. it the show. If yeah, I can definitely do that. So your game is loading, dude. I've never made a game. Have you guys made a game? Like, how cool is it to actually make a game? Even though you're saying it's simple, it's something you want everybody to pick up. Right. It's kind of cool. Oh, oh, oh! This just got real. <laughs> Put in your artwork. Um, it's this company, Manifest Games, out of uh -huh. Irvine, California. Actually, did the how development. How do I turn that down? Yeah. Let's... Down here. Yeah, if you want to turn yeah. off or down. Just down, just down. Okay. Um, okay, so... So if you do start, you okay. have to play that I'm going to hit start. So you hit All start. Right. Now, now like you're like a janitor or something, from yeah. what I can tell. And then... They have comic book cutscenes, too. Oh, so, sweet. So uh, what am the I top, doing? Any of the top ones will give you a cutscene. Okay, so what I'm doing is... is uh, okay, I'm choo choosing something to squash, right? Yeah, oh, you skipped the cutscene. It's okay. Oh, I did? Uh, it doesn't matter. Okay. We'll give it a can second you send me like a movie file? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll show you guys the cutscene? Sure. Okay, while this loads, you guys can watch that cutscene. It's loading. All right, now what are these? These are viruses, bacteria? So uh, the, the short version of the story is you're a janitor in a molecular biology lab. You get shrunk accidentally. You're on this leaf, and there are viruses and bacteria that you have to squash, otherwise they'll infect you. And you're protecting the protein, and you're protecting um, sorry, the, pollen, the pollen. pollen and the protein, and trying not to squash them and not to have them get hurt by the other guys. And you want kids to learn on this game? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it plays a little fast and loose with science, but it's, uh, you know, sort of cutesy characters okay. that are going Wait, around. what's what? Okay, so you pan around. That's, yeah. you just squash the virus. There's a little bacteria over there. Which one's the bacteria? That guy. you got to hit him a few times, though. Oh, oh, oh. And then, oh. Uh, yeah, be careful not to hit the wrong guys. If there's a target to. around, then he's attacking you. And okay. you can pan around, too, a little bit if you just, like, Google Maps. Okay, so it's basically, like... Like uh, a little bit of a whack-a-mole type thing when these things show up. Right. And uh, you just gotta. Wait, you said pan around like Google Maps. So bumps? pan around like you know, put your finger down and move it around. Oh, got it. That kind of thing. Let's see. So there you go. Okay. Um, and then if you zoom out on the bottom left, 
There's see oh. the little minus button. You can see oh, the whole wow. screen. Oh wow! Oh, they're everywhere. You want to zoom in? This is horrible. <laughs> what is that? Is that That's a an power? item. Yeah, you can get that, and then you can okay. activate it on the upper left if you okay. want. Okay, I just hit like a, a slowdown, and it looks like all the jerks have just kind of stopped moving. Can I squish them from that size? No. No, you gotta zoom in to squish okay. them there. And so basically, I'm just going around zooming and killing bad guys. And uh, was this easy to make? Um, well, I didn't do the coding. I did the top-level design, sort of my vision of the game, and then uh, um, was it based on worked with the developer to sort of put this into uh, into motion. So you know, they did the graphics. They worked with me. And they had you know their own input and what they thought would work better. And, oh, you're you know. dead. You're dead. <laughs> oh, the guy like did a backflip out of my way. And that's an enzyme that you can tap to do a super a super hit. Oh, that's like a, a nuke. Yeah. So then, when you activate them, you can, you okay. can nuke anything for just so one. Let me hit. zoom out and see where they are. Uh, I'm gonna pick over here. Boom. See you later. Oh, it only got some. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the game. It's it's squash them. Yeah, okay, and that's then, gonna retail, right? When's that's that that's out? gonna hit the iTunes store. Um, hopefully in the next few weeks. I actually um, was just at the game developer conference, and I'm trying to add some. Um, Sort of leaderboards, achievements, type of things to be able to connect with so other get you excited other players. About video games. Yeah, exactly. Uh, As one of us. Oh, so what? What gets me excited? I mean, that, no, that, I mean that's kind oh, of that what gets kind of me excited. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And and the other thing also is that you end up changing different sizes. So you end up at one point you're squashing actually molecules. You get really small, and then you get really big. You're hitting uh -huh. tanks. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, so you you fluctuate and you build up based on how good you're doing. So there's levels. Like yeah, that. exactly. Exactly. Ah, so there's a little there's, Katamari Damacy type stuff. In a way, in a way, there's five different um, sort of stages of different sizes, and then two levels in each stage. And actually, if you beat the whole thing on normal, you get this insane stage, which is more like Katamari, where you're actually going seamlessly through all the different sizes at the oh, same time. Wow. So it's pretty cool. Um, how long did it take you to put together? Um, I wrote the design document in about March, and uh, it's been in development. Out. Yeah. Yeah, um, was, it, it, was it pricey to put a game together that fast? Yeah, it's uh, it was especially since you know contracting out with the development. But you know, if people go and like it and buy it, then uh, it's all worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called Squash. If you guys have, I know you you guys have the iPhone and so like that you guys are gonna want to play that. Uh, it seems like a fun game. You just sit there and tap 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 tap. Uh, um, how much are you selling it for? Not sure yet, but. Okay. Uh, not too expensive, but maybe not you know not not the super cheapest thing. What's the super cheap on iTunes? Besides free, ninety nine cents. Everything's okay. ninety nine cents, unfortunately, and it kind of it's really hard to produce a game that you're selling, and Apple's taking thirty percent of that. So, uh, so oh, so Apple takes thirty percent mm -hmm. of usually. So you you basically want something like a upwards of like a two ninety nine up. Right. You would want that. I mean, what's hard is that then there's an you know there's sort of an expectation. Some people, a lot of people just get turned off because it's not 99 cents. So it's a yeah. game. It's a game. That I had this girl yesterday game. on the set of Heads Up, and she was complaining that her game sucked. And I was like, well, why don't you get a good game? She's like, because hey, it's not free. I said, right. get, I, said, I said, get Monkey Island Special Edition, because you can get the Monkey Island Special Edition mm -hmm. for the iPhone now. And she's like, it's not free. And I'm like, well, then don't talk to me, because right. you're complaining. Exactly. You know? Like, if you go and buy a cup of coffee, that's like... At and least one game. amazing that's game, that's, that's two game. or three games. That's your yeah, game exactly. right there. Exactly. And what you should do is go into Starbucks and price mm -hmm. your game according to that, so that whenever you <laughs> talk to people, be like, well, you cup? bought a latte, you <laughs> gotta buy squash them and had forever. Right. The latte held you over for 10 minutes and gave you diarrhea. <laughs> squash them, you could have played that every day for the next exactly. couple months on the tram. Mm -hmm. Think, people, think. <laughs> um, real quick, let's get into our written section. Um... Last time we talked about our good buddy Justin McCumber, one of our um, audience members, and I and I and I literally said the name of his book. It was like Pirates of the Crimson Stars, or I said oh, Pirates no. of the Crimson Sea. I said like that, um, and I corrected myself at the bottom of the screen. But no, Justin's book is called Pirates of the Crimson Sand. I'm sorry, I'm burpy. It's the latte. Um, <laughs> and uh, Justin sent me this um, chat book. You know, so it's like one chapter out of his book. They're 99 cents over on uh, justinmccumber.com. But uh, he wrote this nice little thing. Jonathan, thanks for the mention and for the many hours of podcast listening. What have you done for me lately, geekscapist? <laughs> you don't, I don't see you sending me these awesome chat books. Uh, I'm going to give it a read. This thing is uh, a pretty quick little read, but not bad for 99 cents. It's 15 pages, and I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. It looks like a sci-fi, right? It's got like this space, pirate spaceship mm -hmm. thing. 
like a Java's barge going over this <laughs> this uh, sand. His brother did the artwork. So that's kind of cool. Very cool. They self-published this thing. I'm looking forward to reading this, Justin. It's going to go right in the stack of comics, right next to the bed. So when I'm done with sex, instead of saying back to comics, I can say <laughs> back to Pirates of the Crimson Sand. Um, speaking of my most beloved uh, medium, comic books, um, Blackest Night number three came out. This shit's hardcore. You guys have to be reading this Blackest Night. I mean, why not? Alan Moore is claiming that it's one of his ideas from 15 to 20 years ago. <laughs> Did you guys hear that, that whole garbage about Alan Moore claiming every idea DC has ever made? Um, yes, Alan, you're a good writer. See ya. Um, so this is Blackest Night. Uh, number three, I enjoyed it. It's it's hardcore. The way the, what they do to the current firestorm in this book is just inexcusably mean. Uh, so, if you want to keep seeing some of your favorite DC villains become bad guys, zombies, this is for you. Not only that, but you see the Indigo Lanterns kick in here, so you start thinking, oh, we're starting to figure out what we can do against the Black Lanterns to send them to to start killing them. Um, speaking of a badass book, <laughs> Mayhem Number Two, baby. Mayhem number two is out. This is Tyrese's book. Tony Rodriguez does the artwork. And it's out. Uh, <laughs> not much more to say there other than if you enjoyed Mayhem number one, you probably have those same standards that will allow you to enjoy Mayhem number two. Oh, so I wanted to ask you something, actually, about Blackest Night. Yeah. Um, I have this thing where, you know, I, I'm a, I've been a DC fan since way back, since a little bit post-crisis, and I feel that like in their last probably five or six crossovers, when I when I sort of catch up on their big sort of main events, there's always okay, sort of the main story going on, but then they're like, okay, we have to bring back all our characters from like the past twenty years. Yes. So they always like group them together. So my question is, do you ever enjoy? the cosmic stuff and the magic stuff because to me it's like they could do anything they want there are no rules they just make it up as they go along so the that's sort of yeah i could give a damn exactly what zatanna is fighting on the right. seventh level of hell i could give a damn and how many people like have read the chimp detective guy that they would care about those characters so it's sort of now, cool strikes me is, as odd. in black as night there was a really cool blue demon zatanna Phantom Stranger scene, mm -hmm. but I do think of them only as ancillary characters to the big guns right. of the DC universe, and and that goes for Marvel too. You know what I mean? R reading this stuff with uh, Norman Osborn in charge, and, and you know, and you know he's in charge of Hammer, and they're hunting Tony Stark, mm -hmm. and like they they went and fought the mutants in in the X Men in San Francisco. I'm into the that big stuff, but. Am I then going to go and start reading some of the... No, those are ancillary characters, you right. know? Like, no offense to Nick Fury's team of put-together <laughs> people, but I'm not going to read it, mm -hmm. uh, you know? I, I don't know why those things are out there. I think I feel like they're just diluting comic books. I mean, I guess somebody's crunching the numbers and they sell, but at what cost, mm -hmm. you know? Because one per you know, are those the comics people pick up and they turns them off to comics because they don't know what the hell's going on. And you look at something so tightly written like Identity Crisis, where you focused on a few characters, you had a really good take on sort of a way to approach the superheroes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, why don't you just try to do things on sort of that scale? Because clearly it worked, it was a critical, because I don't know I don't how know it sold. I don't know if many good writers, Seth. That's kind of sad. It's totally sad, but when you try and run a creative industry like a Ford assembly line, mm -hmm. film does it too. Right. You see talented writers, and the movies turn out bad. Right. It's just the, I mean, it's the business versus the creative. And something sometimes gives. Sometimes the business gives, and you get this really great movie that nobody saw, The Iron Giant. And sometimes the creative gives, and you end up with G.I. Joe. And sometimes you, you manage to knock it out of the park on both are happy, you end up with a satisfying, successful movie like an Iron Man. Right. It takes a lot of hard work, and it takes it takes a lot of creative people, and they're not always enough of them to fight that fight. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Having a ton of creative people on a project is great. Having one creative person against a whole lot of knots. Right. You just don't. Know, I mean, it's not the Ford assembly line is what they need to learn. Yeah. Well, I think what they know, it's like not the Ford assembly line. You can't. But in the end, it's a business. It's for profit, and there you, you go. got to go with what works. You got to keep turning out books. Yeah. The more books, exactly. the better. You know. Right. Um, which brings us to one of my favorites, 
picked this up at Comic Con. Uh, my good buddy Ron Richards at iFanboy. He recommended Jeff Lemire's Essex County. This is the collected Essex County. It's three different stories that are all kind of, uh, they kind of interweave and connect a little bit. But for those of you guys who really took our recommendation on blankets, uh, this is the new blankets. It's called Essex County. It's about um, roughly a, a family tree of individuals growing up in Essex County in Canada. And uh, a little bit about hockey, a little bit about history, remembering history. It's so deeply personal that uh, if you guys don't shed a tear reading this, you are a callous individual. <laughs> starts out with a uh, boy being raised by his uncle after his mom died of cancer. He wears a superhero mask and cape, plays out on the ice playing hockey, and he befriends so, uh, sort of an ex-hockey, almost-was star player who... Um, who runs like the local gas station and they bond over comic books and play in the woods and the uncle doesn't want him doing that. Then again, there's some history between the two that the uncle's aware of that doesn't want the boy to find out. From there, you flash to an old man being taken care of by a nurse mm -hmm. and he goes back and that's one of the greatest stories. This is a story of this old man and he's reflecting on his relationship with his brother they both went on this hockey they were both on this hockey minor league hockey team and uh they're falling out over a woman that both of them loved and you're and you're seeing this old guy talk about regret and he's talking about memory he's talking about all the chances that he lost and growing up alone when he, you know he made the wrong choices or did he make the wrong choices and uh that sort of reflection and personal uh accountability in this book is so honest and done so well the artwork that he does uh, I talked about Sweet Tooth last week or the week before which was his book for Vertigo this is what made me pick Sweet Tooth up it is it is easily the best thing I've read this year it, the artwork is clean really really emotional and poignant this this stuff is incredible I want every single frame of this comic book up on my wall <laughs> um, I'm in love with it there, there's nothing I can say here that is enough. So I will stop now. Just go pick up the collected Essex County, please. Sounds good. Trust me. If you love blankets, if you love those emotional stories, the power of the graphic novel medium, you owe it to yourself to pick that book up. That's all I can say nice. about Essex County. Did what do you got here? So uh, while I was at the um, Austin GDC um, Game Developers Conference, I came upon this booth, and I just thought it was something really cool. Um, I have no financial interest in this whatsoever. I just thought it was, it's called from Spawn Labs. Um, they're calling this the Spawn HD-720. What is it? It looks like a box with a, with a firewire port in it. Yeah, it, essentially it's, they're trying to do Slingbox for video game consoles. So what's a Slingbox for a TV? So for Slingbox people like for myself who are like technically retarded. Um, what it is is you, you hook up the Slingbox to um, your, your cable or to your DVR. And actually I think, um, Maybe Echo Star acquired them, so Dish might actually have Slingbox sort of software in their own systems. I'm not sure, but then anywhere you have an internet connection, you can watch your own TV. So if you do a lot of traveling, you can set up a Slingbox, and even if you're in, you know, Japan, you could be watching your own American television. Wow, things that you've recorded on your TiVo. Exactly, and you could even have it, you know, uh, change with your TiVo and, and that kind of thing. So now this isn't, you know, in terms this of recording. Is way yeah, so in terms of recording, it doesn't do that, but what it does do is it basically sits between um, your internet connection and your console, and um, you can bring a controller, and it'll actually work with, um, right now, um, at least in the testing phase, they, they got to work with a PS3 controller or an Xbox controller through USB, and you can control one with the other. So essentially, let's say you've got your Xbox 360 at home. Okay. Um, you go to a Starbucks and you have your laptop open, and you. Plug uh, this in. you so that's plugged in at home, okay. and that's, that's I guess it's home. always on. Okay. So you just have that on. And the internet connection that you established at the Starbucks. Right, so you, you have your Wi-Fi connection or whatever, and you just have a controller with you, and that's the only physical thing you have besides your computer with the internet connection. You put it in, and um, you can control the quality based on your connection. But they were showing, um, they were showing uh, Batman Arkham Asylum streaming on either a 360 or a PS3 that wasn't physically there. And what were they streaming it on, a PC? They were streaming it on a PC, and I don't know how, right. what the quality of the connection was, but 
um, you know, they were able, people were able to play it and they were able to adjust it when it got too choppy, you know, because not every connection is reliable, uh, super reliable all the time. You can dial down the resolution, you know, and it's still playable. It won't fill up your whole screen and be super HD necessarily, but it has sort of that flexibility. So, you know, it hasn't come out on the market yet. You know, it's certainly still... They're still working on it, but I think just as a piece of technology, kind of conceptually, it's pretty cool. But X Xbox 360, when you leave them on too long, overheat like a motherfucker. <laughs> That's how you get the red ring of death. Interesting. This Spawn Labs thing that you've brought into my house is basically like, oh, leave your Xbox 360 on at home all the time and you can play it wherever you go. Meanwhile, it's burning, <laughs> burning your house, house down. <laughs> can I tell you, by the way, I think I'm the only person I know that has a first-generation 360 that never red-ringed. Motherfucker, don't say that. Isn't that crazy? Fuck this. I know, I know. Don't, don't I know. talk it's like gonna, that. Now it's on fire now as yeah. we speak, right? Right now it's on fire. Well, look, look what it did to your microphone. The audience it's the is devil. like, oh, I'm leaving. devil. My God, don't talk like that. Seth, that's a ballsy statement you just <laughs> threw down here at Geek's Game. Uh, wow. Yeah. You're, you're, I know, I just cursed myself. Yeah, you're, you're, you're playing with powers beyond your control, <laughs> friend. Um, next week I'll talk about this one. Darwin Cook's Parker, The Hunter. This is amazing. He took a Donald Westlake book and adapted it. It's going to have to wait till next week because we got to talk a little bit about the big video game that came out this week. Not Scribblenauts. I want Scribblenauts, but yeah. I've heard it had a little bit of loose controls and I can I can probably wait for Scribblenauts for Christmas. No, I can probably wait another two weeks for Scribblenauts. <laughs> 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 I, I, I tried. Uh, I'm not going to wait that long for Scribblenauts, but I did get to play uh, my new copy of Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2. And, um, hey, I'm, w I'm waiting for you guys to do some co-op. I want to play with you guys on Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2. Uh, playing it, though, i got to tell you by myself, it reminds me so much of Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1. And you think about things like improvement. Yes, I think the graphics are better. On Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, the character renderings are amazing, but I actually think the camera's worse. The camera, I'm playing this Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2, I've got these characters out in front of me. Why am I watching it through a wall? <laughs> or, like, why is the camera not following? And mm -hmm. uh, why are parts of the map not obvious, you know, to, uh, you know, it's like, come on now, like, he's Iron Man, he, he should definitely be able to fly up that step. You know what I mean? Is there is there like an easy way to reset the camera if it ends I'm up in trying. a weird place? I, you know, I've, I've played it a couple times. I, I'm not a fan of this camera. From what I'm reading on the internet, a lot of people aren't fans of this camera. And they they have trimmed back a lot of the RPG elements about like customizing your characters. Um, sure. I mean, that wasn't... That was a cool part of the first game. There's a lot less to do now. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? As much as I'm not, I, I kind of like the RPG stuff, but it is, you know, it, it wasn't the strength of it. This is kind of a lot more of a brawler than Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1 was, but the gameplay is basically the same, mm -hmm. you know. It's a brawler only because it has reduced RPG. You're not going to be doing uh, too much tinkering with your characters that much, because in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1, you could be like, okay, this armor... Those powers, I want to max out my powers in this direction, not in this direction. In this one, there's so little RPG, you're really just going to max out your character in one direction. The armor stuff, I can't really tell where you're going to be like, okay, I'll give this guy this kind of armor beyond giving like your team different assets. Uh, and when it comes down to doing certain powers, you're really just going to be doing the fusion powers. Mm -hmm. And those are whatever. You know, the fusion powers are fine, but because it's such a brawler, Whatever you're doing with the fusion powers, you can basically just do by just beating the shit out of the person for an hour. You so know? there's no real incentive to to like enhance the anything. Asset, you do different yeah, powers. the biggest thing that they were talking about was this fusion power, and I'm like, it's cool. Mm -hmm. In the way that you're playing it, and you're like, huh. but it's not that much. You know, it's not that much bigger. I'm playing the hell out of it because it's Marvel. And because I loved Marvel Ultimate Alliance one, I wish it was just a little bit more different. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like I wish I wish it had gone further. You want to bring something new to the table? New something? Yeah, it, it brought something new to the table that doesn't feel new at all. Is mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah, doesn't feel new at all, and the RPG stuff feels even less. So, and the camera feels less. So, 
eh, one step forward, one step back. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's how I feel about Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Am I going to play the game through? Yes. Am I going to go back and play the other side of the registration act through? Yes. Am I hoping to do that with you guys? Yes. So that's Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2. And then, of course, next week, you know, we got to talk about ODST, the big uh, Halo, re- you know, the Halo 3 ODST. we got to talk about that. Um, but basically, if you guys want to look me up on uh, Xbox Live, it's just geekscape.net, like I did, it's at the bottom of the screen. Capital G, D, and N. Are you on any of those systems? You know, I'm on 360, but I have this really crappy Wi-Fi connection back at home, so uh, I don't really, I'm not online all that much with it. I've got the Wi-Fi adapter, and I'm not into it. Yeah. So I just I just ran the cable, the, the DSL cable, from the extra port in my uh, th- in my thing, and just ran into the back of my 360. Mm. Just try that. See, the only problem with that is my internet connection's upstairs, and uh, my wife wouldn't be too happy with cords running all over I'll the place. I'll just tape it to the wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just tape it all over the place. You know? I think when you gonna let the wife tell you who you're gaming with. There we go. Huh? You gonna let the wife tell you? No, I mean I'm definitely looking into when I'm I'm uh, I'm moving to Maryland. That's why you want the sling block, the sling box thing. To just play it wherever. Yeah, while your house burns. <laughs> you know what the problem is, and I think I think a lot of geekscapists can probably relate to this. I don't play that much. Um, I don't play that many video games anymore, and it's not for lack of loving them. No, it's it's for because I love them too much. Oh, you and it's not even right. spending. Yeah. It's not even spending money, which is a problem. But it's time. It's if I if I turn on the 360, I know it's four hours gone. Yeah. And it's four hours that you could be doing a lot of other things. And again, not that I would be having more fun doing anything else, but it's like I can't I can't just sit down for an it's hour and play. It totally it just saps yeah. it completely. If, I, if I'm ever gonna make that horrible movie game, I don't right. think I'd be writing not exactly. No, I agree with you. Completely. It's tough, man. Uh, I want more time to play with you guys. Um, so I'm just gonna be a complete failure at everything. I do. <laughs> I'll play with you guys. I'll make that sacrifice. But your gamer score will be higher, yes. so it's worth it. For Geekscape, if you, if you can make money on your gamer score, and some people have found out how, four people in the entire world, you can do that. Um, guys, in conclusion, the game is called Squash'em. We will definitely tell you guys on the front page of Geekscape.net when that game is available, because we'll put a big old story on the front page of Geekscape.net that says our good friend Seth Eisenberg, who was on episode 138, came and talked about Squash'em. So, buy Squash'em. We'll have a link right to the iTunes App Store. Would and become like a fan, yeah, and become a fan definitely of uh, oh, yeah. on Facebook, and I have a Twitter account that you can join. It's all on the website on GoYoMobile.com. So GoYoMobile.com. All right, what's that name come from? You know, it's funny. It's uh, I got it from Lone Wolf and Cub, that uh, comic you book series. Are one of but this is the best part, is that um, Goyo means like official business in feudal Japanese, at least according to the comic. I was at the GDC and talking to two Japanese guys, and I was trying to explain to them what Goyo meant in their language, and they're, they're looking at me like, like, what the hell is wrong with you? What, what kind of words are you making up? And I was just like, all right. Whatever. Forget it. It sounds kind of hip hopish trans- in English, maybe, though. Maybe the translation has changed. Probably. Since feudal Japan. I'm guessing, or the writer just made it made up. Made it up. Uh, well, guys, we make up writing almost every day on the Geekscape website. The brand new website is on its way as well. Uh, check us out, geekscape.net. Um, that's that's where we hang our hats. Um, we got a big weekend coming up on the first weekend of October. I'm going to be hosting this show, Comics on Comics, at the Long Beach Comic Con. If you Geekscapists are in the Long Beach area and going to the comic convention, I think I host Comics on Comics with guests Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor from Power Girl. We're doing that at 5 o'clock, so be looking at the schedule for that. Come hang out in the audience and yell rude things to me. Heckle me. (laughs) Uh, That same weekend, we're doing some coverage on IndieCade, which is the independent game festival that has stuff like, I think, Braid came out of there. Uh, We also have the West Hollywood Book Fest. Uh, the West Hollywood Book Fair has has like guests that we can talk to. I think Mike McNoll is going to be there and some other comic nice. people. So we got a pretty packed weekend. Um, we will see you though next week. Check us out as well on Facebook. Become a fan of Geekscape. Look it up. Become a fan uh, on Twitter. You can follow me under Jonathan London. And of course, T-shirts. Geekscape T-shirts are ten dollars now. So what's your excuse for not having one? All right. I have two. You have two? No, you should have oh, two. Oh, you should have two. You should, yeah, $20. Come on, friends. Let's go. I know our good friend uh, Will A. from the forums has two. Hell yeah. He was all happy because he's going to go to the Baltimore Comic Con. He's wearing one. He's, he's got one for each day. So that's the kind of geekscapist I want you to be. All right? 
And that means he showers too If he has one for each day Probably changes his clothes That's good for a geek That is definitely the kind of geekscapist we want you to be Alright um, Seth, thank you for coming on the show Thank you Yes, and guys, squash them We'll let you know when it's out Okay? Thank you for watching We'll see you guys next week with a lot of Halo ODSD talk